keep smelling funky smells today. Weird. Maybe you have the COVID. Oh, it's like my hand. And then our bedroom smells really weird. Lydia was like, smells really, but, but did you start a new antibiotic maybe? You sure? Mm-hmm. Smells like burned food in there, like bad burned food. I've done, um, I mean, I started like a week. It's just kind of me. God, man. Um, maybe. That's the fun part of having a disease is you get like one with especially like, oh, speaking of which, um, fun part of having disease is the fun smells and gooey things on the walls with the nebulizer, nebulized meds. Speaking of which, um, did you know acetylcysteine, the primary nebulizer medication that I'm on? Is also, this is unproven, but those, they're pulling them, pulling it. Uh, that I think it's the FDA or something like that, is pulling it because it's one of the key, uh, has been one of the key things in fighting COVID. They're pu- like, you're not going to be able to get it anymore? I will because I have a prescription, but it's not necessarily a prescription drug. Uh, prescription medication. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if that's one of the reasons why a lot of the CF COVID and really sick with it is because acetylcysteine um, helps, uh, because it's a mucolytic, helps fight bacterial infection. I thought you were going to say something like, something like they've found it to cause something terrible. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. I've been inhaling as much of that stuff as you have been for the last 17 years. No, but it's like, it's like N... So I, I take acetylcysteine, but it's N-acetylcysteine. So the, it might be a nuanced version of it. But either way, I'm, I'm on a derivative of it, which apparently has shown to fight, been one of the key fighters and successful fighters in bacterial infection, which obviously, but then specifically COVID. Interesting. Yeah. There's been, yeah, I think it's the FDA that's been messing around with it. Um, yeah, fun, fun fact. Welcome to Shoot the Breeze, a series on our podcast that celebrates the messiness of life, relationships, and Christianity, featuring my wife, Lacey, and myself, Nathan. It's creatively titled because it will be just us shooting the breeze, uh, sometimes with guests, while occasionally saying something important. We hope you enjoy. We're play Oregon Trail. Yes. Like I love the this. old school version yeah. when it would be like, "Hey, morning morale is at an all time low." Yes, <laughs> is is morale at an all time low? <laughs> yes. It is, and you know, like if you did nothing or you like, you know how you'd always try to kill your people off, like you know, only make them eat beans or whatever it is you can do. I can't remember the specifics in that game, but um, just to see. Die first. Mm-hmm. I would volunteer as tribute at this. You're actually like if I let, like was that game, I'd be like, "Get me in." Then, I'll eat beans. I'll you know, get scurvy. I promise. I bear me along. Like, and then you're like for your siblings, you'd like, like you could fill in the name of the. Um... Oh no 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 no! You put. I know what I would do. You would pick your siblings to go on the trail with you in the beginning, and then you get really excited when one of them would be on the gravestone. I think the later versions of the game they took that route where you could like name them. What your name? No, I think. Well, yeah, later versions did, but we. I've always liked. I've liked. I liked it. I didn't try to kill my people off though. They just, you know, did. It would be fun to see if you could get one of your siblings to go. Be like, oh, look, Nicole, you're dead. <laughs> Not, I mean, just hypothetically. Just a hypothetical <laughs> name. A hypothetical Not sibling. A specific one. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so this came in this week. A question. Reader mail. Yeah. Reader mail. Oh, was it asked you or email? Uh, texted me. Oh wow, another option. Okay. What? Well, yeah. Yeah. Is you have two choices put out in front of you like a decision to make. Both of them are good decisions. Both of them are not uh, uh, destructive or sinful decisions. They're like neutral. 
what do you do if you feel like God's not telling you what to do? Pick the one you want to do. Yeah, but how do I know I'm in God's will if I do that? If you love God, he loves you. He knows your desires. He's for you. Like, if you don't feel like you're being disobedient, you know? Yeah. I don't think there's, I don't, I think some kind, sometimes there's, there are a few good options that God's like, what do you want? What sounds good to you? You know, not that he's not, oops, not that he's not, um, Sorry. Yeah, I know, I know. Do you remember that I one know. podcast? I know, I kept hitting the mic. <laughs> I know, I know, I just did it. Um, but I think that if he's not being clear, I don't think he's gonna be like, ah, look at you. Failure. Failure. I think that God also sometimes just allows us to choose because he loves us and loves to give us good things, you know? We Don't you think so? I grew up in a tradition in Christianity that there was one will, God's one will, everything outside of that one will, and most often it was an obscure will, so I wasn't ever sure of what it was. Everything outside of that was sin. And it's interesting because I look in the scriptures and you read, you read just the meta narrative, the, the 30,000 view of scripture. And it's really messy and there's rarely a, it's like you see people's lives. Right. You see, what are you trying to say that God didn't have a hand in their life or he didn't have a specific direction for them? No, I think what I'm saying is God's will is more um, in line with our day to day activity. Um, So take a great example of this is you have Abraham. You have Abraham. God calls him. He the words he says is. Go to the land that I will show you. And then I'll, I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And so Abraham sets out from the land of Ur, of the Chaldees. And he ends up going to, was it his uncle's or father-in-law's Laban's? Or, or uh, Laban is um, Isaac, I think. Um, but he goes and ends up going to his uncle's. What are you land. saying? That you kind of got you kind of botched the Abram story. He first went to Egypt because of the family. No, 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 no. Remember, he goes up to his uncle's house, or 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 father-in-law. I forget which one. No, he ends up with his cousin Lot. Right, but he picks him. Oh, hold on, I gotta. He does like a drive-by. He's like Lot, get in. Hold on, now this is yeah. You do because you because well no because you're botching the Bible and that's not okay. I'm not botching the Bible. Oh my word. No, are, we're so you, far from our point right now. We might as well just read scripture. You're far just, from, you know, point. go to go to Genesis 12 and start a reading. <laughs> start a reading. <laughs> Seriously, though. Oh, goodness, Lace. It's 12. Oh, I do. Um, yeah. So uh, he, he so God comes to him oh, and boy. says, go off from your father's land. You're, you're from your people, from everything you know, your father's house. And I want you to go to a land I'm going to show you. And so he sets out with all of those people. Okay. And as he travels, famine hits right away. I mean, it doesn't really give a timeline, but it kind of alludes to the fact that he'd not been traveling very long. When... And so he kind of headed down to Egypt to make sure that people had food. And that's where the first incident with his wife came about with the wine. Okay, ready? Yeah. Oh, oh. <clears throat> Heron died in the presence of the father Terra. In the land of his birth, which is Ur of the Chaldeans, Abraham, Abram, sorry, and Nahor took wives for themselves. So they were in Ur of the Chaldees. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Abraham's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldees in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran. So like it was this side path. Haran was like, I think, north of the actual promised land i don't i mean i don't the know where is, heron was i right. i did not really do well on my biblical maps class <laughs> i i mean i'd like to say i aced it but i did not right but all i so, know is that anyways 
point is, here's what I'm trying to make is that there's this journey and God says, set out to the land I'll show you. Yes. And it was never specified until he reaches the promised land where that land was. And so it's this idea and it's not specified in the, it's this idea of he, he journeyed, he started going, he started walking and God would lead him. Well, I mean, but it because was, I think that point of it was that it was about his obedience to move, mm-hmm. not the not the destination for, you know what I mean? That wasn't what God was interested in. I mean, yeah. obviously he was interested in leading Abram to the promised land, but the idea of I'm going to show you, like yeah. as you move with me, as you obey me, I'm going to show you where that promised land is. Like I'm, you don't know right away. Right. And and I think that's the, you know, it kind of got lost in the weeds there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let, but, me, let me go back to Genesis uh, 1 then. So God puts Adam and Eve in a garden. His desire for them is to work the land, be in the garden. Mm-hmm. All around them are trees that they can eat from, all around them, all good options, and one bad option. Right. Why don't you use this example first? This is way Because I wanted to make it, than... like, messier. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> did, I, did I succeed? Yeah. No, I think that's the thing, though, is, is long way around in the weeds, whatever, of getting back into that outside of, you know, specific sin or unless God reveals a specific direction for you. I think God's will is more in line with it's kind of like what's happening in our Where's day. Where's your heart? Yeah. yeah, like what's what's in your heart and what is, yeah, what's going on in your, in your day, like day to day. And you see Jesus, this happening in Jesus' life where he would be going somewhere and in the middle of going, someone would interrupt him. So all of a sudden, you know, we, we can look right, at Right, I think it's more about availability than it yeah. is anything else. So know? all of that, I think being said, is when... We have these options. Oh, here's the other one. Okay, so... Um, Got to finish a whole here, sentence. Well, this is kind of in, in line with, <laughs> with it, is the idea of God has one person for you. And I remember... Um, I remember when I graduated high school, I originally applied to Moody Bible Institute. Um, now, I didn't get accepted because I had not done... Uh, apparently what was required to have done to enter that school. Um, but the point is, you know, we, we often think, you know, going to the right college, going to the right place, living in the right, you know, did I miss the one? Did I miss the one person for me? When in reality, the idea is if you're in relationship with God, wherever, whatever that is, whatever that might be, um, a great analogy I've heard is look at who's on your left, you know, who's beside you as you're following God. The point is there's not just one, there's not just one path. There's not just one person to be your spouse that it's in line with, no, I'm following God. I'm following what he's asking of me, what he's, where he's directing. So are you trying to tell me you're not my soulmate right now? Is that Mm. what you're? No, I'm not. (laughs) that what you're you're trying to say so you could be with like someone else i don't know like liesel in chicago right now you know Liesel. i was trying to think of a name of somebody i know no one named liesel so (laughs) is that even a name well i'm sure there's a name oddly enough i'm sure there's probably someone in chicago named (laughs) um if you know a liesel (laughs) but do you know it'd be and are also are you trying to say that god's not sovereign um I think the... Because, I mean, that's a big can of worms. That's a massive one. You've, you've um, tripped into the weeds, and now you've... Uh, I've tripped. You've stumbled into no. the weeds and tripped over a can of worms Here's now the, at this point. <laughs> I have <laughs> jumped full bore into the can of worms. Um, I believe that we don't... I th- mm, I'm trying to think of how to s- phrase this. I do not think God's will is, first of all, linear, second of all, mono. I think um, the best way I've 
it's been described to me is you think of God as a um, master chess player. Most masters can move around six to eight moves deep into a game, like in terms of their thinking six to eight moves ahead. Um, one of the things that we look at as God's omniscience, all-knowing, is he's all-knowing as in his chess moves. He's moving infinitely each move. So he knows all options, but you see there's very specific verses in the Bible where he gives man options. He gives man full free choices. And because God is playing infinite chess, <laughs> um, it no matter what we choose, it is going to, and there's sovereign things that are taking place. Um, <clears throat> you see this happening in prophecy with Egypt being, with, with the people of God being enslaved in Egypt, um, them being set free out of Egypt. There's these things that are God's sovereign plans along the way. These checkpoints, if you will, Jesus coming to earth is one. These checkpoints, and it it says, I believe it's in Romans, at the fullness of time. I would, I would say Jesus would be the biggest. Yeah, no, I know <laughs> the biggest one. No, yeah, yeah, definitely the biggest one. But it's it's that idea of at the fullness of time. So there was a season when it wasn't right yet, and then God playing infinite level moves of chess, infinite levels of chess. Like okay, now now first century boom. That's that's when Jesus is going to come. But don't you think there's a comfort that comes in uh, sovereignty? Absolutely. Knowing that God is in charge, knowing that God is um, ultimately in charge, but also recognizing that because God has given us free will, free, we are fully able and capable of choosing because that's how he created us. He created us in his image and likeness with the ability to choose with the ability to make choices, make decisions. This is why in Deuteronomy, it says, choose life. This is why in Ezekiel 18, it says the person who chooses life, the person who chooses righteousness will live. The person who chooses, makes a full decision against trusting God, dies. And so we see these verses plainly spelled out that we have free will and it goes into the question of why does evil exist? Why does God allow X, Y, and Z? Well, he allows it because those are the limitations he's put on himself. We are the ones that do it. We are the ones that make poor choices, that make bad choices, evil choices, sinful choices, whatever, unhealthy choices. And to, it's interesting that we could blame... we. We rarely blame God for the good, but then all of a sudden when bad, something bad happens, we like to blame him for that. Um, and recognizing that God has limited himself to, um, hey, I gave my creation the ability to choose and make choices and decisions. There's consequences to that. But here's the sovereign part of God. Here's the in charge part of God is that when we trust him, no matter what happens around us, when we fully trust him and release our circumstances to him, he is faithful to redeem those. Uh, one of the things it says in Romans, um, I think it's chapter 6, or 8, where he talks about um, for those who love him or trust him, he can work all things out for our good. And I think that's where the sovereignty comes in, knowing that even if someone does um, wrong against me, God is capable and able to redeem it. And oftentimes what I hear, especially in Christianity, a misuse of God's sovereignty is God planned that evil thing to happen to show his goodness, which I think is a horrible, horrible view of, right. of God's sovereignty. Right. Which I want to kind of circle back to the soulmate thing and yeah. let you know that I 100% agree with you and always have. <laughs> I know. I was not too worried. I know. <laughs> I've never believed in soulmate. <laughs> um. Um, yeah. So I, I think with the, you know, it, when you're, when you've sought, genuinely sought God with a 
a pure heart, surrendering and, and willing to entrust your circumstances to him. I think it's it's one of those things where the world is pretty wide open. You know, the the world is your oyster. Is that right? Is that the right phrase? That is the right phrase, but I'm trying to think of where you're going with that. That that when you're in when you're entrusting yourself to him, when you're seeking him, and it's kind of like you have two Well, I mean, it goes back to when Jesus is talking about when you ask anything Father, it's gonna be done, right? And it's that according to the will Father, right? That when you are connected, when you're like fine, you know, you're connected to the Lord, you're moving in conjunction with so your desires, what you're going to want to do, are going to be lined up with the will of the Father. And well, so those yeah. doors are going to be open to you because that that's how it, it works, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, here's an extreme example. I'm trusting God and I want to be an axe murderer. Well, no, that's a, that's a hard... A little extreme. Hard no. Yeah, I know, that's what I'm saying. But it's like, let's say you have two career options in front of you both of them like neither of them are like one's a drug lord or something like that no i'm saying like two uh, genuine right. two genuine career options in front of you you've sought the lord you've well it's you, kind of like <laughs> i want to be a missionary or a fiduciary which fiduciary i just love that word what's a fiduciary but that deals with money i'm not entirely sure there's always a commercial on the radio that talks about it but it's something to do with investing and one of our listeners can let us know because obviously we're not on the up and up but i just thought it would be fun to bring that in anyway i think that up and up no that means you're bad no up being, and up no being up and up means you're you're good you're a good yeah, person so i said on the up and up no i think you mean like we're not up on the lingo oh okay anyway yeah um anyway let's say you have those two options in front of you uh I just, I think that I'm also a believer in as we lay things out and pray about them and start walking in the direction that the closed doors and open doors are a big indicator of and by, leading it, in the Lord, you know? You know, by closed doors or open doors, a lot of the, I think to be specific, you know, Lace and I have counted on this principle uh, you know, along with obviously seeking counsel, seeking people's advice. Um, does it, do I have peace about this? When we make this decision, do we have peace? It may not necessarily be, do I like it? Does it make me feel comfortable? Does it make me feel happy? It's, you know what, in spite of maybe some difficulties that we know are coming up, I do have peace about this. And I'm not unaware of issues that might come out of whatever decision we're making. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's that idea of peace because it's Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when we submit to his lordship, there will be a peace that happens, right. even if the choices we make within trusting him. Um, you know, other people could look at it as foolish as a great example of this and we we've talked about this before dealing with obedience um on a previous podcast but just the idea of our our you know education we've always followed peace we've set out even to get a you know formally educated with degrees but it's one of those things where we've always felt like we've hit a brick wall of absolute like which is so funny you always bring up that one incident where there's more incidences I know, you know? It's, the, it's the one that always comes to my mind right. I think it's because it's the one that I know you and I struggle with especially with what we do thank you so much for listening to our podcast this is one of the many resources we make available for free at our website cultivaterelationships.com our resources have helped people grow in their relationship with God and others. Uh, we've seen people set free from uncontrollable anger and paralyzing fear. We've witnessed estranged family members be reunited after working through our freedom booklet. We've helped people build healthy relationship and coping habits through our coaching videos. And all of these resources are made available for free because of the generous support of people like you. 
If you would like to become a partner, please visit cultivaterelationships.com slash support. Now, I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. I think, you know, kind of backing up a little bit, though, just that concept of just because it sounds more Christian or uh, more holy, you know, whatever it is you want to do, that doesn't mean it's always the way that God's leading you, you know, like, and I think that there's, or even that, you know, misnomer that I say, I can't say that I won't do something. God will make me, you know what I mean? I think all those things just have a, what if I fully submit to God and he makes me be a missionary in Timbuktu or right? Like there's just a, there's this attitude that Lord is going to make you do something. Or that if yeah. I'm fully surrendered to the Lord, it's going to be terrible. <laughs> like, and, and honestly, the Lord knows you. He loves you. He made you the way you are to love the things you're good at yeah. the things you're good at. And he wants that for you, too. It doesn't mean it'll always be comfortable. It doesn't mean oh, it'll no. always look the way you want it to look. But that he, that when we're connected with him, when we're, we are, um, like that, that analogy of the vine, when we're, we're, we're attached to him, there's mm-hmm. going to be joy in that, no matter what it is we're doing, you know? Yeah. And that, I think that's a, a, a shift, like a mindset shift that has to happen for us to, to walk confidently yeah. in obedience. Because yeah. when we're filled with dread about obedience, that's, that's not going to be very motivating. Well, and ultimately you see in 1 John where that's what he says in first, his letter in 1 John is if you have fear, it's because you're not believing God is love. You're, you're afraid of right. judgment. Like if, oh no, if I make the wrong decision, if, if I do this, if I raise my kids this way, if they don't go to public school, if they, if they go to homeschool, if they go, whatever it is, like, oh, uh, or if ah. they're not homeschooled and they are, they go to no, public that's school. I, yeah. That's what I mean is if we have dread, if we have anxiety in our life, it's because we are, if we don't have peace in our life, it's because we are not submitting to God. If we're not entrusting to God. Number one, his character being good. He has good for us. He he's a good dad. He has good for us. We're making our brains are processing more decisions than what they were designed to make. That's why we get well, anxious. And honestly, if you're living that way, your your relationship with the Lord all of a sudden becomes very workspace. Right? Am I making the best decision? Am I doing the right thing? I holding the line and do I have it all together so that the Lord's going to line it up for me. And if any of these, you know, balls drops, wow, God's going to just, yeah, well, it's just all going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not doing it well enough. I'm not pleasing God enough for him to move me forward. Right. And that is, and that I I just want to hit this point because that's exhausting and then your your relationship with the Lord turns into such a um, a works based kind of a thing where you always are the one that it has to have it all figured out. And I think that that can happen when people are really seeking the word of God is get so lost in needing to know it all instead of just Lord, when you move, I'll move. Yeah, you know, if you say do something, I'm gonna step out. And there, there is that piece in that, like you were talking about. Well, and it, it gets back to, interestingly enough, our story of Abraham. God calls him to the promised land. He gets there. Your favorite point. There's a famine. Well, he doesn't mean he goes to Egypt. Hmm? He flakes. But you don't. You see but what that, I'm that's why I'm saying is he doesn't. He uh, he panics. Yeah. And he. But even if you're walking in God's will, it may end up in famine. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing is like he felt like because it went famine that he had to do something all of a sudden, like he had to get involved. And I do love, I just think Abram is so relatable. I mean, all of the story (laughs) is so relatable from the way that he like tries to take care of it himself to the way that he 
uh, messes up his marriage to the fact that he is sick of waiting on God and, and just kind of like lets things happen. It's just so funny. He just lets his wife take over the, <laughs> and he's like, sure, why not? You know, and not that there's anything bad with your wife taking over things in your life, but just that casual, like, well, I guess God's not going to do what he said he's going to do, you know? So right. we'll just help God. Yeah. And I think that <laughs> all of that stuff is so relatable, you yeah. know, as we're trying to, um, trying to trust God for the promises that he's given us in our life and the things that we're moving forward into that we can get lost in all of those concepts, like yeah. famines in our own life, no matter if they're spiritual or emotional or financial, or whatever. And then we're just like, this is not working out. <laughs> I right. need to find a solution. Well, you it's, know? it's interesting throughout scripture. Egypt is generally the majority of the time pointed to as a bad thing. Right. I mean, yeah. How many of God's people have found their um have found their place of refuge in Egypt though. In bad places. What are you talking about? Think, no, think I about I feel this. like you're going like No, I, it, here's what I guess here's what I'm saying is what entrusting in that idea of entrusting yourself to God. You see Joseph in Egypt. He becomes a refuge for his, for his people. You see, um, but I think the difference that I'd like to say is that God doesn't mean that God puts you in prisons. No, 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 no. But again, it, it goes back to man having free will, doing bad things, doing right, whatever. But even Jesus' family finds refuge in Egypt, finds that solitude in Egypt. And I think the the question is, what is our mindset if we find ourselves in a place of absolute discomfort, feeling like we are out of God's will? You take Jesus, his family, having to flee to Egypt, and they find refuge there. They find solitude there. So the I guess maybe I'm looking at this maybe as all in prison is, is it really your job is it really the your soulmate or not soulmate it's am i is god more uh concerned about my like his relationship with me how i my relationship with him or is he more concerned about fine-tuning all of the details of our life and and you you see how many times in the prophets i don't care about sacrifice i care about your heart um and i think it's hosea he but what says, do you mean by fine-tune the details of our life because well, I, like a, to me that kind of sounds like oh god's not interested in no whether think, or not you're yeah no no i think more the the idea is um again it goes it goes back to the idea of it, it, it's like we know we have friends who um have been in abusive relationships, they've been divorced, then they find this incredible person in their life. And it's almost, and the thing that they, and it's the same thing with adoption, the thing that they say is, oh, God did all of that to bring me this one person. No. It, like, no. Or same thing with adoption. Well, God did that to bring, bring them to the true family that they have. Right. No, those are all God's redemptions. It's how he is moving an intimate relationship with us. Right. That's what I mean is no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, God is always more concerned about relationship. Right. And, and, I, think and I think that's, that's what I'm right. trying to And that's where you can really rest and have peace knowing that so if, if you you're find, connected to the Lord, if you have right. a few options in front of you that you're safe. I mean, you're safe. And that's what I mean is if you find yourself in an Egypt, if you find yourself well, not in, even in Egypt, I mean, I've had circumstances in my life where there's been a few things laid out before me. And mm -hmm. one of the things I have had the Lord say to me is, what do you want what, what, oh, yeah. what sounds good to you, you know? And I just think, because I mean, that's that the idea of um, the idea of 
a friendship, you know? Like tell that story though. I think it's a it's a great one. Oh, um, it was just one of my very first um mission trips. And uh, I think short term mission trips get the the bad rap nowadays. Yeah. And I know there's been a lot of them and a lot of circumstances where they've been done poorly or carried out poorly. But honestly, I'm a big fan of short term mission trips. Not only are you I know the ones I've been on, you always raise extra money to give to your people you're going to. And mm-hmm. then also bringing um, kids, teenagers on trips like that, allow them to value missions from a young age. It allows them to value um, freedom of worship mm-hmm. from a young age um, and become lifelong participants in the gospel. And so I, I actually am a believer in short-term missions. just want to kind of that as a caveat because I know they've kind of are under fire, but um, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater because yeah. of the yeah. done poorly. But anyway, when I was um, taking one of my first short-term mission trips, um, there was a few options for me, and I was, you know, advised to really pray about it, and it was a really big deal with where I was at of which which one I was gonna try to go on and. I was just really seeking the Lord, like, God, what do you want? You know, what is your will for me and all that? And I just felt like the Lord say, well, which one do you want? What, what, you know, what makes you passionate? What ignites your heart? And I really, really want to go to China. And that was the most mm-hmm. expensive one, of course, and the most <laughs> remote one. And like, okay. And it was really supernatural the way that that all came about. And um, I love love china I, I, the people there are incredible from when I, I mean oh my gosh it was 20 years ago mm-hmm. 21 years ago mm-hmm. can you even believe can you even believe that i remember my uncle he went to china when i was five and he was uh 20 years ago yeah yeah I'm that's there. exactly what you're doing <laughs> i know but um <laughs> anyway but no it was an it was an incredible I think not only the experience itself, but the the fact that I knew that the, that the Lord was interested in the things I was interested in. He was passionate about the things I was passionate about. You know, and that's what a friend is. Is a friend is not just somebody who, um, I don't know. I think we forget that God's our friend. Like He wants to with us and hang out with us and like you know when you meet yeah. somebody and yeah. like they're nice and you're nice, but you have nothing in common, and you just kind of like don't hit it off, and you're like okay, you know, you're just not going to hang out with them on a Friday, you know, but right. it's like, God is not like that. He wants, he wants to talk to you about the things that you're interested in, Yeah, you know? And I think yeah. that whole side of our friendship with God is kind of lost when we get, as we said earlier in the weeds mm-hmm. about some of these, these decisions we have to make, you know, cause we look at the Lord as being more authoritarian than he is like friend. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying with that? Yeah. Which kind of backing up to, you know, the theological question of God's sovereignty. And I remember when I was asked, <clears throat> asked this question, what was God in the very beginning? What was God? Like if you could, what was the primary characteristic of God? And, you know, we, again, growing up in the. No. What was God? You, you meant what was the primary characteristic? Yeah, what was the primary characteristic of God? And the que- kind of the question between was he sovereign or relational? Well, when it was just him prior to creating anything, there was nothing for him to be sovereign over. So he couldn't be. couldn't be sovereign at the core in terms of characteristic. But he was relational within himself that dynamic of the Trinity being relational. And I think what's happened is we've focused so hardcore on God's sovereignty. Again, it's, it's a fear-based, I would say, rationality of making sure I'm doing God's will so that he doesn't, that I'm not in trouble so that he doesn't set at me, which is dealing with sovereignty, right? He is sovereign, but more important to him is relationship far more core to his care. His nature is being relational than sovereign. It's so funny. Cause I've just never, I don't remember. 
I just don't worry about sovereignty because I figure sovereignty, sovereignty, and there's nothing I can do about it, right? So why should I worry about it? Is that do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Well, and here's the that? thing, though. Here's the thing. God's uh, again looking at His sovereignty as being more day to day normal than me sitting down freaking out like, is it His will that I take a? But I don't know, so I shouldn't. Like, should I take a sip of my? I don't know. What is? What does He want? Right? Like. that's a silly analogy, but I feel like we do that in life. But don't you think that rather than I'm going to take a drink of water. I always think that there's like, you know, there's the way over on one side. You have the loosey goosey. Everything's free will, right? Like, woo, no free will city. And then you have on the other side, like sliced water, sovereignty, kind of a, you know, like, Right. And I think that we always think that we have to be like so polarized. No, and that's why that's why I've like, you know, again, going back to like why pray over here. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Free will city is why pray? Why even try either it is or it isn't. No, that's not what I'm saying. No, sovereignty you're talking about. Sovereignty, right. Sovereignty is Well, because he commands us to, hun. Right. And so I, I just think extremes in that. Yeah. In that those theologies lead you to not good places. When you look mm-hmm. at it as a um, God has chosen to well with me, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like Emmanuel, Christ with us, like he's chosen to, mm-hmm. to be with us. Um, and I know I'm referring to Jesus in his, you know, I'm in here on on, on Earth, but I, I think that was really uh, um, just a picture of how God wants to yeah. be with us. You know me, you know the Father. I mean, that's what yeah. Jesus said. Or you know me, you know the Father. I've heard and, it said Jesus is perfect theology. Right, Jesus is yeah. perfect theology, and and that relational side of things is so much more important than um, well, either either side of those relationship is the tension between free will and sovereignty. Relationship is the tension of that. It is. And we go over to one side where it's all free will. I get to do whatever I want. And you technically do. Over to the other side. God is sovereign. But I do do think there are things that, like you're saying, like there are things that God is sovereign and are going to happen. Like Jesus was going to happen. You know what I mean? There are things that God's sovereign. So I don't think it's, like I said, it's not all one way or the other. Yeah. In in history, there's these waypoints that we will hit. Well, and I this is where, honestly, I think we get too trippy because there is no time in God's eyes, right? There's no linear time. So... I know, <laughs> but if Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the earth, there's no time. And I, do, I encourage you not to think too hard about that because <laughs> it no, freaks no. me out. No, go for it. Think about it. You out. <laughs> or eternity, all that stuff. Trippy. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, but that does lend itself to the idea of us wanting everything so neat and ordered. We want time. We want this linear idea of the Lord fit in our our little time box. You know, and the Lord is so good to us. He gave us time so that mm-hmm. we can order our brain. Yeah. Um, that whole idea of in creation, you know, talking about how the Lord brought order. Like the story yeah. of creation is order. And um chaos into order. Ah, yeah, and it's beautiful because yeah. You look at it and the Lord, like, he finished up by putting us in this beautiful place to walk with him, be with him, and, and to dwell with him. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yep. And, and I mean, that is relationship. And we get so in the weeds with yeah. everything else. And that is just not what his heart towards us is. His heart is not for us to be agonizing. Over every single little thing because the enemy will jump in that and to bring you into such anxiety, yeah. you know? And so the very thing you're trying to do, honor God, turns into anxiety all the time. Yeah. 
I feel like I said a lot of words. I'm not sure if they all made sense, but. I don't know. I think, you know, it, it is interesting. It's, it is dealing with relationship and there is a piece that comes also in surrender. There's a piece that comes in knowing he is in charge. Yeah. Right. Um, well, okay, so uh, I wasn't going to hit on this, but I will. <laughs> the fear of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're told not to have fear, right? The perfect love drives out fear, but then we're also told to fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. Mm-hmm. So how do those two things so you just, it's come in together? The, it's in the verses. Okay, tell me. The fear of God is the beginning. It's the beginning. If we land with fearing God, you're immature. That, that might be a beginning, and I don't mean immature as a, a diss, but it's only the beginning of your journey with God. In First John, I brought it up that if there's fear, it's because we're afraid of judgment. Mm-hmm. So our relationship with God, maturity with God, is seeing the fullness of his love. Right. And that's exactly what I was going right. to say is because this is something that <clears throat> for years I really was like, I don't know how that works. But <laughs> I feel like what finally I, I realized was that exactly what you're saying, that this concept of fearing God is more of us being able to understand his immensity, our greatness, mm-hmm. his omnipresence, his authority over everything, yep. his victory over yep. sin and death <clears throat> and the grave. Yep. And then that, that fear that comes in of standing in front of and being, being able to uh, worship yeah. and be loved by God. I mean, yeah. that is a amazing thing and so instead of looking at this fear as this um concept of that we're supposed to be afraid he says no 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 my perfect love for you cast out fear out all the fear you have to have you're on my team (laughs) you don't have to worry i am the scariest thing ever that anybody's ever seen because i own it all i have it all i've won it all and i love you yeah so there's nothing for you here everything bows to my name and but the problem was we always look at that that fear of god as being on the outside looking in and when the god god is the god that is drawn us into himself and it's it's that idea i think you're right is the fear of god is that beginning right it's that initial introduction to god but it, it comes out of he desires relationship with me and the closer i'm drawn into him the more i recognize i am loved and that love Casts out any fear that I I have. Because, like I said, he's the scariest thing possible, you know? Like, and I'm on his team. And a great, (laughs) a great, you know, practical verse that goes with this is boldly come before the throne of grace. Right, yes. Right? Boldly approach the throne, the sovereign throne of the living God. Boldly. remember when the girls were really little toddlers right and you were preaching and oh Ari bless sometimes she just take off a running and I couldn't get to her and she just run up on stage right <laughs> and <laughs> everybody knows you don't do that you know yeah, what I you mean? don't but you don't do that you yeah. don't and but it's like I just think about that like you're her dad like mm. you weren't like her you weren't preaching you weren't a guest you weren't important in that moment to her she needed you when you were her dad and there was an understanding of your her position in your life that gave her that boldness to throw out all the authority that 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 had given you because you you recognize her yeah that's my kid right i mean you did kind of give me a side eye but (laughs) i gave you the side eye not her 
<laughs> but I mean, just that example is like, how often do we see ourselves as having that kind of a intimacy? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Here's a, you know, here's a great, here's a fun study for you to have the entire New Testament. Look at the who Jesus, who the writers of, of the New Testament letters, who how they describe immature Christians as opposed to mature Christians. Immature Christians are always coupled with uh, characteristics of judgment, characteristics of unforgiveness, characteristics of uh, being divided over words and and theology and and making sure that people are doing the right thing. Mature Christians are always described in with the adjectives of loving, compassionate, caring, merciful, forgiving. And it, because those are the are the deepest, right? The closest people to God. Again, moving from that fear of God to being loved by God. And you look at immature Christians are those who are divisive, who are pointing the fingers of making sure you're doing the right thing, making sure you're, you know, looking the right way, saying the right things, having the right doctrine and theology. And the Christians who are the most mature, uh, I was just reading Colossians, it says it in Colossians, the most mature are those who are clothed with love, unity, harmony. And so, you know, growing up in growing up in the denomination I I was, I was very judgmental because I thought having the right theology was the was the mo the best way I could I could know God. I could know him. And I can tell others about, I could cognitively communicate what God was like and what he desires. But, but it wasn't until I had experienced God, right, that love, that I, I realized how much that, that lacks, my intimacy with him lacked. Because I didn't experience him, right? I didn't, I didn't have that relationship with it. And it's funny because in, um, I think it's, I think it's in Hosea where he talks about these people are perishing for their, um, lack of knowing me. And you would think, okay, that, that means they didn't understand God or know God, right? But that it's the same word used in Genesis where Adam knew his wife it's a very intimate experiential knowledge more than just god exists and i mean galatians talk about talks about this that even the demons believe in god like they know god but they don't experience god they don't have relationship with god they don't have that intimacy with god they it's not producing a love right and so it's it's I think that's the thing is, is we have to at some point in, in our maturity as a Christian, our maturity in our relationship with God is revealed in, in the spectrum of fear to love, right? If, if there's anything where I'm fearful, doubting, uh, anxious, worried, then my intimacy, my relationship with God is an immature one. If I am confident and I can boldly come to him and trust that and, and be loved and feel loved and have that intimacy with him, that's maturity. And I think we, I think um, for whatever reason, especially if we spend more time in the church, we, we flip that around. Um, I don't know why, but I think we do. <laughs> Anyways. It's, it is interesting. I, uh, over the last four years, I've been reading through the minor prophets and how often, how often God tells Israel, trust me, come back to me. 
you you're you're perishing because you're not intimate with me you're not close to me you don't know me you don't know my heart you don't know and I, and I guess yeah. the question with that is how do you get close to the lord what does that look like to have that relationship to have that intimacy you know because i think that's where people get workspaced is well it's it, it, i mean jesus said you know jesus quoted isaiah 50 or Isaiah 55, where it says, you know, these people have made themselves blind and deaf to me. Talking about their relationship with him. And it was because they were unwilling to deal with stuff in their heart. And so Jesus, you started, you know, told a story about how to deal with stuff in your heart. You know, getting rid of, you know, he uses rocks and weeds and hardness. And how to deal with that. But I think that's it. Is we don't. I think we. No we minimize. How things have affected our hearts. We. Don't want to. I mean some of the things that we have to do is forgive people. I don't know. What do you. I I guess what do you think. Because I'm thinking too that. um, You know the, the big criticism. Of kind of the. The mindset or the a philosophy that you're promoting, I guess. Espousing. Espousing. <laughs> is that it's more everything goes, anything and everything goes. You know, that there is no desire for holiness. There is no sanctification. There is no casting off. You know, that it's just love accepts all. And, and it's tricky. So in my... My, I guess, in my description of relationship with God is there are ways God has designed us to live in relationship with him. And so what he is going to do is convince us of his design. He's going to convince us of areas that we're living outside of that perfect unity with that perfect uh, design that he's, he's given us, he's made us with. Um, and it's, it's, you know, <clears throat> the it, John 16 says the Holy spirit is going to convict. And I think that conviction has gotten a negative connotation. Like as long as I feel bad, then I'm in God's will. <laughs> as long as I, as long as I feel crushed and a worm, then I'm perfectly in relationship with God. And that's it. That's why I've kind of changed my own vocabulary to convince. It's the same word, but he's convincing me of a better way to live. And I think what's happened is in Christianity, we get convic- convicted of the bad things we're doing. It's the same word. It's the same idea, except one is, is focused on forward movement and one is focused on backwards. And it's like driving a car in the rearview mirror. It's not a good way to live. Give me um, an example. So, uh, so for me, personally, what often happened growing up is I always felt convicted of my addiction to pornography. So my whole focus, my whole being was oriented to what I was doing wrong. And what I've been convinced of, what I, it's that forward movement in what God is convicting or convincing me of is better ways to live. So my addiction to pornography was focused on isolation. So I'm being convicted of being isolating and which led to behaviors of, you know, looking at pornography, not being in relationship with you, not being connected to you, not being connected to my friends. So shutting yourself down emotionally. Right, right, right. So that my whole focus was looking in the rear view mirror of what I was doing wrong, looking backwards. And what God's been showing me, and this comes out of Galatians, you know, put aside, put away all these bad 
untrusting behaviors and walk in step with the Holy Spirit, right? It's a forward motion. It's a forward uh, trajectory. And so he's convincing me that being vulnerable to you, being vulnerable with my friends, hanging out with friends, spending time with other people is a better way to live. So the difference is, I think what happens in fundamental or conservative Christianity, we focus so much on the convicting side, and we don't spend enough time focusing on the convincing side. Let me convince you of a better way to live. And so that's where dealing with the Holy Spirit of convincing me of a better way to live, it's, it's not, it, it's, it's not just saying, I have sin, I want to get rid of it. It's what does Jesus have for me instead of the sin? What exactly. it, how, why exactly. is life with him so much better than walking in this? And why is yeah. obeying him so much better? And so that's, that's what I'm saying is if I'm in relationship with God, he's going to convince me of the design he has. His design is to be to be to be um open and honest with people to be moving towards healthy relationships healthy mindsets uh god-given mindsets um and so it's always going to be convincing me of his design his design being in relationship with him his design for how he created Nathan Steele to live right um, so in you know an example for me and i think yours is so much more easier because it's kind of a social taboo right and the issue i struggle with the most not anymore not in our culture but <laughs> i mean no I, in the church right the yeah. church is going to be quick to be like yeah that's wrong beep right. like definitely <laughs> you're done um <laughs> that is wrong be done with it which yeah. we agree right yeah. that's not a behavior that's healthy or good yeah it doesn't give life but also you know kind of the one that you know i still you know that it's a struggle for me is wanting to control mm-hmm and um, that control, that desire to control, you know, found its way in the habit of anger. Right. And um, whatever that anger looked like and however it looked or however it manifested, that was fine in my mind because I needed to regain control. Right? No, you know what? I'm going to, I'll raise you one. Okay. Your struggle with, and I'm going to use the, term that was told to you you got to make jesus smile so you got to do better you got to work harder serve more place if you're not serving in the church but right so you back that up deeper and it's the idea of fear that i'm not good enough Mm -hmm. right so that's i mean that's getting really down into the deep stuff right and i think Mm -hmm. that sometimes almost we we kind of can we focus so much on the activity Mm-hmm. That we're not really thinking what's going on. And right. so if we're not dealing with that root thing, it's just going to come out in other ways. So, you know, yeah, for me coming out in control and anger and that fear, so many different ways, started dealing with my anger and fear comes out in stress or whatever yeah. it is. Right. Yeah. And so for me, Lord wants me to be able to live in peace. Yeah. No matter what circumstance I'm in, to live in peace. Not pressure. Not pressure. But to, I think that is so highly relatable, but it's not talked about as a sin. We all know anger is a sin. Right. We all know, like, I mean, trying Pornography to... Pornography is a sin. Right. <laughs> manipulation of people yeah. is a sin. But what about that? just that anxiety that you're not doing enough or that you're not enough or that you're just laying in bed at night in fear that your day was terrible, that you wasted a day and like, Oh my gosh, I only have so much time to get this right before X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? That's so here's the, I mean, hold on real quick. Yeah. Sorry. sorry, But sin, we bundle it up in this idea of sin and we miss the point that God's not focused on. I'm going to be careful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's focused on us being free. He wants yes. to free the prisoner. Yes. Right? For freedom. For freedom, he set us free. For freedom, he set us free. He's not like, you're so bad. You're so yeah. wrong. I'm so mad at you. It's, 
want you free. Yeah. I don't want this to eat up your life. I don't want this to eat at your family. I don't want this to slowly destroy you. Right. It's for freedom. I have set you free. You are a son and not a slave. And those those are the deep wells yeah. of pl- the, the the deep well of a uh, um a freedom he has for us. It's not just surface behavior. Right. It's so much deeper than behavior. Right. Right. And we can get lost on the behavior. Right. Which is why, going back to what a mature Christian looks like, there's someone who is not focused on behavior. There's someone who's focused on heart. Right. An immature Christian is someone who is focused on behavior. This is why Jesus calls the Judaizers, people who were like, Christians need to be circumcised. Christians need to do this and follow the law. Immature Christians, because they're focused on behavior. And this is why, again, (coughs) the beginning of maturity, the beginning of wisdom is fear. It's a, it's a focus on behavior. That's only the beginning, though. That is, if you, land on, if you land on behavior, you're an immature Christian. A mature Christian is someone who says, you know, my, da- my dad's really loving, and I have nothing to worry about. I have nothing to fear, because I know he's loving. And I know... As I'm in relationship with him. And you know what? I'm, I might make mistakes. I'm not talking about overt sin. I'm talking about, you know what? I might fail sometimes. I'm, I might make some mistakes, maybe out of ignorance, maybe whatever it is. And, you know, I'll, I'll look back and be like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that or done that. I mean, like I'm saying, not sin. Rebellion. Let me rephrase it. I'm not talking about rebellion. But you know what? I'm, I know my, my dad is bigger than my mistakes. I know my dad is bigger than my failures. I know my dad is bigger than things that disappoint me. I know that my dad is bigger than, um, yeah, those, those times where I feel like I made a mistake. You know what? He's bigger than that. And if I'm trusting him, if I'm loving him, if I'm continually pursuing and seeking his face, my dad's good and he can work everything out for good and it'll be fine. You know what I mean? You know? Thanks for talking with me. This ended up being a really fun conversation. (laughs) Um, I I was gonna say, there's I've done a couple teachings recently on this subject, and I highly recommend um, checking them out. I'll I'll link them in the description on our on our post on our website, cultivaterelationships.com. Um, and also, Nathan has started doing um, a daily word oh, encouragement. Yeah. So yeah. if you are not already part of our email list, hop on cultivaterelationships.com and sign up for that. Yeah. Because we've just had a lot of feedback about how, how wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then also, Crazy. if you're someone who's like, I don't want a daily word, you can get a weekly word. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> You don't have to do the daily word if you don't want. You can do the weekly word. But, um, yeah, we want to encourage you to, if you're not connected to us, email is the number one way that we yep. stay connected with people. Um, so go ahead and and give us your email address. We promise yep. we won't sell it to anybody. We we'll just yeah. keep it to ourselves. Use it for our own for nefarious own. gain. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. Hey, Dave, this was fun. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. All right. Goodbye.